The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you're listening to the Makers of Minnesota podcast. And it's a big day, people. This is episode 50. Yes, 50 times we have talked to makers in the state of Minnesota doing cool things, people that are making technology or making tangible items. They are all here, coalesced at the Makers of Minnesota. I've been very pleased to bring these podcasts together. It's been really fun to figure out how people get started in their businesses. And today, uh, to celebrate 50, I have a fifth-generation business owner. It is, uh, I'm here with Bailey's Nurseries and Ryan McEnany. McEnany, you just told me this, and I was like, okay, I get the name, uh, Ryan you know McEnany. It's a hard one, and you got it on your first try. So I love it. It counts. Uh, Bailey's Nursery, and you may know of Bailey's Nursery because obviously they're based out of the Twin Cities, but they had this amazing success with the Endless Summer Hydrangea. They've now got a line of roses. Ryan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah, you've been, you're a friend of my talk. I, I think am, you're yeah. a friend of our friend, uh, Julia and Lori and Julia. Yep. So you're fifth generation. Do you mind if I ask how old you are? I just turned 31. Okay, yeah, because I could tell you're kind of a youthful guy. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me how... One of the things in a family business that's always challenging is sometimes people have only worked in the family Mm -hmm. business. I'm under the impression that you guys do it a little bit different at Bailey's Nursery. We do now. So there's still 11 of us involved in the business. There's two in the third generation, my grandpa and his brother. And then there's seven in the fourth generation, uh, which is my mom and her brother, and then five of their cousins. And so one of the... the things that they've learned with their generation, because we always learn one or two really big things in each generation. And one thing that they learned is that that outside experience is really important. Uh, my mom worked at 3M companies before mm-hmm. she came back to the nursery. And uh, my cousin Mike had um, a landscaping company. But a, a lot of the fourth generation just went straight into the company. And so my mom is now president. And so one of the things that she wanted to bring to our generation is requiring that we have that so not only do we have to report to someone that's not family or where our last name doesn't matter, but it really gives us a good perspective on what is happening in the real world because we get sort of you know tucked into our niche. Very much because so. Because our industry, too, is somewhat specific. And so if you just go straight into that, I think that you lose some insight and you lose the big picture. And so there's two of us now in, in my generation. It's myself and my brother that are in the business, and I'm the oldest of my whole generation. So we always say that we're going to probably have two or three generations within our fifth generation because I have a cousin that's in elementary school. Sure. So for us to have to go to high school and college and then work two or three years outside of the business, and you're in your almost mid-20s by the time you're even able to join the company. So we've got we've got a ways before we have that some others so join smart, us. That is so smart, though, for your mom to have done that. I have done some business consulting, and... You know, you learn a family business when Mm -hmm. you grow up in it. But if that's all you know, 
it's hard to understand things like culture mm-hmm. and um, it's hard to understand thing like vision and you tend to kind of just do things the same way year after year. And, you know, you learn a lot when you're working at other companies, you learn things that worked, things that didn't mm-hmm. work. What do you think you uniquely bring to the business from your experiences? I think that I have brought, um, for better or worse, the very, very big picture because my background is not in horticulture at all. My background is in the entertainment industry. So I went to school at St. Thomas. So I graduated from in Minnesota. But during that time, I was back and forth living in L.A. And my first job I got, I was, I think, 19. It was right after my freshman year of college. I moved to L.A. My first celebrity client was Flava Flav when they were filming the first season of Flavor of Love. I was just going to say. It was an interesting experience. (laughs) And I was sort of stuck with him because I was the only name he could remember of anyone in our entire office. Wow. So... I my eyes were opened very wide. And so I ended up staying and I was there for 18 months and then uh, came back. because I was like, I've got I want to finish school. And if I stay there, I'm like going to all these fun parties and getting to all this stuff. I really want to focus and get school done. So I did that. But I went back and forth. And then when I graduated and I moved back to L.A., I was at that time at the largest entertainment publicity firm in the world. And my boss was the CEO. So I was 21 walking clients at the Oscars and we represented the Vanity Fair Oscar party and the American Music Awards. And so we had this we had no budget for anything. We got to our clients were traveling the world. And we in one summer, I launched Glee, Robin Hood, Sex in the City movie. So I had this grandiose idea of what the world was and coming to an industry that can be somewhat uh Provincial. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I think that that has been sort of pushing us in a forward direction that maybe we wouldn't have in the past. And it's also been very good for me and that it take, forces me to take that step back too and say, okay, this is a great idea. Let's do this huge project with a celebrity. But that doesn't make sense for our budgets. And so right. it's it's forced us to sort of come to a middle ground and pushed us in a way that I think has been really exciting. We've done a lot of new things. Um, my boss, who is not a family member, is incredible. And he um, he was actually a salesperson for the company for 10 years before he moved into marketing. And he and I sort of have a similar idea of how we're approaching things and wanting to show change and wanting to be innovative. Because our company, for since the beginning, has been all about innovation and to work in an industry that is considered mature um, has caused us to think in a different way. And so we take a step back and we say, we're not in a mature industry. We're really in a growth industry because now we've got this millennial generation of which I'm a part of that is really getting excited about gardening, whether it's vegetables or they're buying their first home. And maybe they don't really care about taking care of the plants, but it's important that their house looks good. So for us, it's like this burgeoning new client base that... So let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. You, I was doing some research, and you guys have a term that I think you coined, perhaps, called yardener. Mm-hmm. Is that a term that Bailey's made up? It's not necessarily one that we've made up, but it's one that we've... Okay, you guys that, can yeah, that use it in your lexicon. Using, yep. And a yardener is somebody that wants their house to look good, but they don't want to spend every minute in the garden. Yep. And I'm a gardener. Mm-hmm. I had, a, I had a beautiful garden. I just I sold my house uh, a year ago, and the person that bought the house is not a gardener. And <laughs> you know, I thought I had made my garden pretty low maintenance in terms of it was mostly perennials, mm-hmm. and 
But it's amazing. I went by at my old house like a couple of months ago and totally different. It, it's it's just weedy. Yeah. Like I don't think she necessarily knows what's weeds and what isn't mm-hmm. and I can tell it's just not her thing. But I took for granted maybe how easy it was for me to just understand how to put things together and when to dig things up. And I can see how for a certain group of people that that's not that fun. And yet they still want their house to look good. Yeah, it's easy care, fills out the space and nothing you don't want anything to do, but it has to be beautiful. And in Minnesota, three seasons out of the year, if not four, if as much as you can. And so that's one of our goals and why we strive to be innovative is within the breeding and we know that that's what people want. And so we do internal breeding and then we partner with breeders from all around the world and looking for those traits. So how what how big of a business is Billy's right now? We now are in Minnesota, Illinois, Oregon, Washington, and then we have a breeding farm in Georgia. So we've got probably 12 or 1300 employees. Um, ah, so during, it's a billion. It's billions of dollars. I wouldn't say billions. It's a billion, multi-billion dollar industry, but we, yeah, we're, you're we've done in, well. Okay. Yeah. You're in that heading close to 1,200 employees. Wow. Yeah. It's it's a really labor intensive industry and mm-hmm. we're really reliant on mother nature so that there's a lot of inherent challenges in our business. And that's another thing that I've, I've learned because, you know, I grew up in it and I worked in the fields growing up and I remember it downpouring one day and running to hide out in the porta potty because I was being a baby and didn't want to be out in the rain. <laughs> but, you know, I never really thought, oh, whatever, it's raining. But it's really dramatic how what an impact the weather can have. We even saw this year, like, you know, with up and down, up and down, yeah. we thought we're not going to have any blooms on our lilacs. The rhododendrons aren't going to have any because you never know. And if you have a crop failure, you have a crop failure. Yeah. And I, I never thought about it from the grower perspective, mm-hmm. like, so the month of June pretty much rained the whole month. Yeah. So does that make things better? How early the thaw happens and then if it freezes? and It's really tough and it's really labor intensive because we had that happen this year where it got really warm. We were in the 70s and then went back to freezing. So we had to uncover everything because if you keep it covered, it can get moldy and it can yeah. start to decompose. But then if you leave it uncovered, then all your buds are going to get zapped. So we had to go recover a lot of the field or move things into hoop houses that we didn't take the covering off. So it's really a daily effort that we have to work on it. So the uh, hydrangea that you guys developed, um, who in the family developed that? Was that? So it was actually discovered in the 80s at a house next to our our foreman that ran our farm are in Cottage Grove, which is our greenhouses. Okay. And he saw, looked over and he saw this hydrangea that shouldn't have been surviving in Minnesota in the first place and kept reblooming, which doesn't really, didn't at that point exist in a residential landscape. So he watched it for a couple of years and then he finally went over and knocked on the neighbor's door and said, you've got something interesting. Can I take a cutting? And they knew each other. So he knew he was yeah. in the nursery. That teacher, funny enough, ended up being a second grade teacher at Bailey Elementary in Woodbury. Wow. And then after he retired from Bailey, came and worked for Bailey Nurseries in the greenhouses. So that original plant was discovered in the 80s. And then And how in. did this teacher, did he? It was, I'm not sure, I'm not even sure where he got it. Yeah. But somehow it ended up in his yard. And that's what's kind of fun about this business is a lot of these new plants that are really revolutionary are just found in nature. Yeah. And so it has this one gene in it that's it's remontant, which means it's reblooming. And so we trialed it for 10 years. Then we had this man, his name is Dr. Michael Durr. He is literally the godfather of horticulture. All the horticulture students read his manual for their textbook. He came September 11th, 1998. So we had it for 12 years. It was discovered in 86. 
12 years that we were playing with it. And then he took it and he said, this is the Holy Grail. This is what I've been looking for. He trialed it for another 10 years in Georgia. And then we finally introduced it in 2004. Wow. And it's, I mean, it's a beautiful shrub. I have like three of them. I yeah, think. it's, it really, we talk about this at Martha Stewart revitalizing hydrangeas. Hydrangeas became really exciting for decorating with Martha. And this changed the the garden world with hydrangeas because mm-hmm. it was the first reblooming, especially in the northern climates. Because it, this is really nerdy, but if you have a or typical hydrangea, the flower buds are set in the fall. Mm-hmm. So if we have that really bad winter and it kills the flower buds, then you have a green shrub. Right. So this gave the opportunity for especially cold climate gardeners to even if those buds got killed, it'll still rebloom and you still get flowers. So 2016, we finally passed 25 million plants sold. Oh, that is so amazing. And you guys are redoing this again, it seems like, with an endless summer rose. With this, it's Easy Elegance Roses. Easy Elegance Yeah, rose. so the Easy Elegance Roses, we bred all internally. And so we had a breeder that worked both in Minnesota and our Oregon farm, and he bred for Zone 4, which is Minnesota, so to survive a Minnesota winter and to have disease resistance. Because that's what a lot of people have had problems with diseases. Oh, that And there's endless. so much work. And so these are shrub roses so they're not like those really long stems, which are beautiful, but they take a lot of work, and you have to tip them, yes. and you have to worry about the disease. So these are shrub roses. They're super easy. Literally, we call them easy elegance because you put them in the ground and you leave them. Maybe deadhead a little bit here and there. But what makes them special is that the roots and the top are the actual the same plant. A lot of the plants that you get are grafted, so the root system could be whatever rose they choose, and then they take the top of the rose that you're buying and put it on top of it, and they fuse them together. Okay. So that way... If they die back in the winter, you're going to get whatever that root system is. You're not going to get the rose you bought. Right. So this, these, now since they have the same root system as they are on top, it dies back to the ground. Oh, well, you're still going to get the rose that's going to come back and it's going to be the one that you wanted. Wow. That's much more than I knew about roses other than that they are finicky as heck. Yeah. Well, and that's that's why we did this because that that was an issue and there's already enough barriers to gardening. People think that it's hard and it, it can be really yeah. hard. And so to find a solution to that problem was really important to us. And so coming up with this whole line of roses, there's 23 in the collection, yellows, pinks, and reds, whites all over, so that you can put something in your yard, still have that sort of reminiscent feel of grandma's garden without having to do the work. And it's been incredibly successful. It started, obviously, here in the Midwest, and it started to grow, um, and people just love them. We're trialing them We've got them in Alabama and really warm climates, too, and they do really well. Is that then how you grow moving forward? Is it as much marketing the plants as it is creating hybrids? Yeah, I think that the that's the future of what our industry is becoming. And I think that I don't think that's just our industry, but IP is where, where it is. And especially with our industry being so labor IP intensive, for... intellectual property. Okay. So- all the plant breeding that we do, we own those genetics. They're yes. patented. And so people can't use them without... Mm-hmm. Are you in a unique position being a fifth-generation grower to be able to have the resources to do that versus... Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Because we're seeing a lot of that in the Apple world, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of it's funded by universities. Yep. Yeah. And we've worked at the U of M a lot mm-hmm. on their grapes and apples. Yep. And um, yeah, I, I think that since... This is so capitally intensive and labor intensive for someone to get into this industry. It would be 
incredibly difficult and they need very deep pockets. And so we're fortunate that we've been around for 112 years and have grown to a national and international company that we're able to support research and we can fund this breeding, these breeding programs both internally and working with external groups to find really unique, fun things because it's also super overwhelming for the home gardener because there's so many new plants every mm-hmm. year and we are very slow to market. We are not a company that will see something we love and introduce it the next year. We do six, seven years of trialing all around the country because we want it to truly be a better replacement for what you have in the garden, the garden now. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is amazing. I, it's just, it's so cool <laughs> to hear you talk about all this. Now, what's funny though, is you went from, I mean, not that Flavor Flav is like some super <laughs> hot celebrity, but from the celebrity world to the here you are back in Minnesota mm-hmm. at your family's company in the horticultural world, which maybe isn't as sexy as Flavor Flav. Well, but you're equally yeah, as passionate about it. What made you just leave Los Angeles? A lot of people wouldn't have left a great gig like that. Well, I sort of always knew that I'd want to be at, be home at some point. And by the time I was, the place I was in my career when I moved home, I worked with two clients. I worked at that point with Nikki Minaj and Mariah Carey. Hmm. Nikki was on tour and Mariah was Mariah in New York. And so I could be wherever I wanted. And so I came home, my mom and I share a birthday. And so I came home for our birthdays and it was a beautiful July day. And I was like, yeah, I could be back here again. I could live here and still work on the coast and fly out when I need to. And two weeks later I was home. And so I still worked with them and I still do some entertainment stuff here and there to sort of keep my toes in the water. But um, I think that's one of the blessings of of our family rule of being forced to go away because to come back to the company, you have to really want to be there. Right. And so if I wasn't passionate about what we do, what we stand for being with my family and carrying this on to the next generation, I think I'd be in a very different place and that the future of the company would be in a different place, not just because of me, but all of my siblings and cousins that follow behind. It's so funny. Some people see a family business as a real burden. Mm-hmm. They feel like they can't get out from underneath it. It's just it's sort of overwhelming. I just don't get that sense from you at all. I really feel like just talking to you that you see it as a real opportunity. Why do you think that is? I think part of it is that we have been really fortunate that we've got really deep roots. So I was lucky that I got to know my great-grandpa, who is the second generation. He's the one that he was the first to really take it to the next level mm-hmm. when he bought the company in the 60s. And so I got to experience from him and my great-grandma and having my 80-year-old grandpa and his yeah, 83-year-old time. Uh, brother still working in the business every day. There's a lot of respect that I, that I have for them, and I see the respect and engagement from our employees and how they react with everyone in the family, but especially those in the second, third generation. For me, it's a privilege to come back. Right. And we have very strict rules. When we're at work, we work. When we're at a family event, we don't talk about work. I was just going to ask you about that because I worked in a business with my husband and that's all we did. Yeah, and it's it hard. It's a little and, dysfunctional. You know, it's my mom and I are very close and we spend a lot of time together and we live near each other and our desks are next to each other at work. And so it's, it is hard to take that step back and I mean our family all hangs out together all the time too so but it's very intentional because it wasn't always that way and that's where it can lead to discourse and and none of us want that 
it's hard enough as it is working in family business. It's hard enough when you've got multiple generations involved. By fifth generation, it's only 0.3 family bus- percent of the businesses yeah. survive. And so we're very aware of that. And um, like I said earlier, I think it it truly is a privilege for us to be there. And we live our mission every day. We're, we're trying to make the world a more beautiful place. And we've got incredible employees that we're responsible for their families as well. Yeah. And so we don't take that lightly. And so we, we approach the business as something that we want to continue on. Ryan, what is the title on your business card? I am the public relations and communication specialist. So on a day-to-day basis, what do you actually do <laughs> at the business? So I do a lot of our internal communications. I do our newsletter and all that sort of thing. And then I do the PR for Bailey and for our three consumer brands that we own. Um, I support our social media with our agency. Do you have an agency that does it or do you guys do it internally? It's a it's a mix of both. We work so our, we have an advertising agency in the cities here uh, that they do our advertising, they support our social and uh, there are external PR PR arm as well. Mm-hmm. So do you literally have to like post things or do you have to approve posts and how much has social media impacted your business? It's impacted it a lot. Um, and it's sometimes a fun challenge to convince our customers that they need to be on social media, especially if they're in a small town in South Dakota. Maybe it's not as relevant, but mm-hmm. um, it's been a big part. And it was a huge part of my job before the agency came on to, to support it because there's only so much I can do myself. And having them on board has been really instrumental in getting us to that next level mm-hmm. because then we can all get together and we can have a production meeting or do these videos and this is how often we're going to schedule these posts and then I can do more of the day-to-day where I'm out in the field and it looks really great or I travel a lot. I just got back from a 10-day media tour and so I could go to public gardens and see our plants and landscape and so I can do a lot of that where they get to run the contests and yeah. all that sort so of thing. Yeah, so you're doing things that are more immediate yep. out in the field. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. And how – this is a sort of weird question, so bear with me a second. <laughs> okay. I wonder if – I'm. you know, I, ha- I have a – I'm a 49-year-old woman. I have a cabin. I have downsized my home. I am a gardener. Mm-hmm. I am from Minnesota, so I've spent a lot of time out in the yard, and it's a three-season situation. Mm-hmm. As I look around, I wonder, like, are millennials going to buy homes? Are they going to be buying cabins? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be spending their same amount of discretional dollars in the same way that our generation did? I see them getting married later. Mm-hmm. I see them potentially not even purchasing homes. Yep. Cabins, why buy a cabin when you can VRBO? Yep. Are you seeing some of those trends, and is that something that concerns you moving forward? Uh, definitely, I think that that's that is a trend that we're seeing, and I don't know that it, I don't know that it's it's not going to happen with buying homes. And I think it's just going to be later. Yeah, there's more condo living. I live in a townhouse. Yeah, and so my little plot of land that I can garden in is like three by six feet. That's what I and have too. So. We're seeing a lot of container gardening, mm-hmm. and I think that's where the vegetables play really well. Um, but one thing that we're pushing people to do is put shrubs in a container because you're going to spend the same or less than you are with annuals. You can bring it in your garage and bring it back out next year. You can plant it in the landscape oh, if you've got space. About that. And so it's economical. You're going to get more bang for your buck, and it's going to give you that three season, especially like a hydrangea, like the new one from Endless Summer. It, it has red stems in the spring, so even before it's in flower, it's got interest. 
It's got beautiful flowers. It reblooms all the way through October, and it's got incredible fall color. Bring it in the garage as soon as we hit the frost, and then bring it back out in the spring, and you're done. And you don't have to worry about going and filling it with annuals again next year that aren't going to look that great by August right. anyways. And so that has been really encouraging because I'm of the age where a lot of my friends are either buying their first home or they're in a condo, and they're like, but we still want to do something to make our patio or our deck whatever yeah. pretty. And so do like three little containers in the corner, and you're done for the whole summer. Yep. Uh, that's really interesting. I'd never thought about overwintering a, a shrub in my garage because well, I have a postage stamp now too that well, I'm trying to and make even if a you lot don't, with. Over, little... Even if you don't overwinter it, and you spent thirty bucks on a shrub, you're going to spend forty dollars on annuals that you're yeah. going to throw away anyway. So yep. if you want, you can bring it in. My uncle, so Gordy, who's our chair of the board, our eighty-three-year-old uh, second or third generation, he has this bloomstruck hydrangea that he's brought inside for the last three years. He was counting the blooms on it. He's very proud of it as well. He should be. It is stunning. It has over 112 blooms in June on this one hydrangea that he's been How overwintering in a it? container. It's huge. I mean, it's in a container, so it's lifted off the ground, but it's four and a half feet, five wow. feet. Yeah, that is huge. But he did that all in a container that he just brings in over the winter. It's It was really, really cool to see. Yeah, that is interesting. And certainly I do a radio show about food too, yep. so we've seen the culture of People wanting to grow their own food. Yep. Gardening has, in this same generation, gardening of food and the uh, canning and has sort of had a resurgence. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's uh, something that you guys have thought about, too, how to continue with the vegetable market. Well, and that's sort of why we have moved, especially in our our social conversations or if we're doing targeted conversations towards a younger audience, is not using the word gardening. Because the word gardening means different things to different people. It could mean mowing your lawn. It could be that really obnoxious thing that you saw your grandma doing, pulling weeds and tipping your roses. It could mean vegetables. It could mean so many different things. So we're trying to change the conversation. What do you bit. call it? Well, that's where gardening has come in. We're we're playing with some words to try and see. We don't know yet. <laughs> you marketers. And, I know. <laughs> but we're 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 playing because. It's just getting to that point where the millennial age group is really starting to show interest in it. So you have to see what what they respond to. So did they respond to your Pandora station yeah. for artists rebloomed Pandora station? Yeah. You had an endless summer station, yep. which just cracked me up. What kind of music was on it, and did people respond to that so, as a marketing promotion? I thought whole, it was very clever. Yeah, and it it did well, and it still is still a live station. But they, uh, it was all, it was a whole wide range of artists. So there's a little something for everybody. If you don't like Britney Spears, there was something else on there too. But it was all artists that either had a big resurgence in their career or they reinvented themselves. So Lady Gaga was on there, of course, because she's reinvented herself every two years. Right. So it was a it was a fun mix of new things that that, that was clever there. but it was you know we've got to try new and different things yep. and like we were talking about it's we're sort of an older industry that sort of just does the same thing over and over yes and so you got to play when i was on that media tour a couple of weeks ago we sponsored the craft brews at the zoo at lincoln park zoo in chicago it was 142 breweries and endless summer hydrangeas and people are like what are you doing here but we built a wall out of hydrangeas and we were right next to Surly because they had to pair the Minnesotans together. And they would go get their beer sample. They'd come next door. They'd take their photo against the hydrangea photo wall. Which I think was, did you get your inspiration from Kanye West's rose wall that he made for Kim? <laughs> we think that he stole that idea from us. 
because we've done it before. It is really beautiful. But it was incredible how many people, and a lot of them were of my age group that were there, came up and said, I love hydrangeas. Hydrangeas are my favorite flower. I have these in my yard. And Which we, we kind of like, thought they were weed, not weeds, well, but weedy. They were these long stems. And, and... who would have think that? Who would think a thirty-year-old would be like, "Oh, I know hydrangea." Yeah, and it's and my maybe that's flower. again. Thank you to Martha Stewart, or even knowing like endless summer, or wait, we, where can we get our picture taken? We had a photographer there, and we posted it on Facebook by nine a.m. the next day, and they were having fun that night. I had people messaging on on our endless summer page. When are you posting those pictures? We want to share those pictures. It was so beautiful. So it was really cool for us to see. Let's try these other unique new things and physically be out there with this new customer because they enjoy it and they're reacting really well. Do you think you can get past? So hydrangeas were traditionally ivory mm-hmm. or white. Now we have blue and we have pink. Do you think we'll get to where we could have like yellow and? If the breeding uh, breeders can get there. <laughs> yeah. But we're sort of in a constant evolution. The new one that we introduced is, so the, there's the classic Nantucket blue, and mm-hmm. then we've crossed that with other things, and now we call it blurple. It's a blue-purple mix, so it's a much more intense color, and we're starting to get some reds and really deep pinks. And so they're playing constantly, and the technology behind behind breeding has changed so dramatically, too, with germplasms and... We we don't necessarily Germplasms. go. I know, right? <laughs> Who thought we'd get to that conversation today? <laughs> but it's it's cool to see what you can come up with. And there's a new Starbucks that they just put in on Marshall and Snelling. It's all bloomstruck around there. It's it's incredible the the landscaping and yeah. that they've used. There's a lot of hydrangeas and they're all colorful. They're all the endless summer bloomstruck. Yeah. It's, I went there a couple of weeks ago and I was like, wait a second. It's really noticeably. So photographer out. We're like, you've, we've it's got really to get pretty. It. It's yeah. gorgeous. I was there when the landscapers put it in and then I wasn't there for like, I was literally watching them as they were doing the planting while I was waiting for my coffee. And then it was, you know, six weeks later and I went back. I was like, wow, yeah. that really looks great. Yeah. Well, and it's great because they're shrubs. They, they just live. Yeah. It's not something you have to replace and do all that work to you. And hydrangeas have traditionally been thought of as really finicky, and they can be. But the newest one, especially the bloomstruck that's planted at that Starbucks, is much more tolerant of the Minnesota weather. So you don't have to hack it back in the fall. You don't have to do any of that. And it's a manageable size, too. Yeah, it's three, four feet tall and wide in Minnesota. Yeah. I have figured out that you can pretty much do anything to hydrangeas, I think, and they come back. Yeah. I mean, you don't know if you're supposed to cut them down here, cut them down there. Just cut them down. They come back. And it's sort of, people like us, it's sort of our fault because we keep introducing these and there's so many different kinds. There's the mop head and the panicle and like the Annabelle, the big white balls. Yep. Like those you hack back to the ground the other ones you don't. And it's like, how can you expect people to remember everything? And I just feel like, I don't know, most of them just come back anyway. Yeah. They'll find a way. Yeah. And especially if they're reblooming like in the summer, even if you hack it back to the ground, you lose those old buds. Still get flowers later in the year. You'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. I'm here with Ryan McEnany, uh, Bailey's Nursery. Uh, if As we wrap up here, like, do you have any, like, words of advice for people in multi-generational family businesses? Like, do you, when you speak other places or you talk to people about what you do, is there, like, a mantra that you have? Have patience and be open-minded. It's hard, you know, this cross-generational workplace is hard as it is. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing it with family, you, there's, you don't want, on both sides, you don't want bruised egos. You don't want to feel let down or like your ideas don't matter. 
and you know you're you have are generally put on track towards management long term to ownership mm-hmm. and so to know that that's coming is important but also to have great respect for the position you're in that you need to be working harder than everyone else because people are watching right and have respect for those that came before you and know that even if they say no to something that it's okay and there's a reason behind it but don't stop i can't i think this year i finally got my first project that i was pushing through to actually get approved and it's been 4 years wow and good for you perseverance yeah but it's it's important and i think that there's extra added pressure being in part of the family and i think for me it's given me a lot of encouragement to keep pushing and doing more right and knowing that i have a lot of people watching uh is sort of exciting and that i want to prove to everyone else that i'm not just here because i'm part of the family right. I, i'm here because i have something to contribute you earned your and that i'm really excited to help growing the company for my generation and and beyond well, I'm sure you will because you're very passionate and very smart man. Thank you for being my guest Thank today. You. It was really fun to talk to you. Uh, and go out and buy your hydrangeas because yeah. there's still time for the summer. Sure Thanks, is. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you.